take your scriptures and turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Our reading this night, as we continue in the Gospel of Matthew, is 14.1 through 21. There's a stark, bold contrast before us tonight of two kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do pray that you would bless us, your people, with ears that will hear. Lord, we pray that something much better than wind passing over a rock would be our experience of your grace tonight. We pray that indeed the wind, the ruach, the spirit of God would be in us at work, indeed enlightening us, illuminating your word in us so that we would have understanding and that having that understanding by faith, we indeed, O oh Lord, would see a reform take place in our lives, that we indeed, Lord, would be more ready to leave behind the things of the kingdoms of this age and lay hold of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and indeed take up our calling in it with fresh resolve, with revived and strengthened hearts to his praise, to his honor, forever and ever, amen. Matthew 14. At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people, because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass 
And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is God's word. Tonight we are called to look closely at the vast differences between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. There they are before you. One is revealed to you in verses 1 through 12, the other in verses 13 through 21. In the kingdoms of this world, we see Herod cut off the head of John the Baptist. He puts it on a serving platter, has it carried across the room crowded with party guests, has it placed in the hands of a foolish girl who places it in the hands of her mother who asked for it. In the kingdoms of this sinful world, the lives of those who cannot help you increase your power or your wealth or your fame or your pleasure, those lives are used up and thrown away. This is legal to do so, even in our own country. In the kingdoms of this world, the mouths of those who refuse to say, peace, peace, all is well, you are wonderful, you do no wrong, Those mouths are despised. Those mouths are silenced. In the kingdoms of this world, kings and princes do not seek after righteousness. They do not seek counselors of righteousness. They do not seek counselors of justice. They do not seek counselors of honor or of integrity or of purity or fidelity. They seek after mirth. They seek after laughter. They seek after good times. They seek the admiration of other men, and they seek personal pleasure for themselves. As Peter says in his first letter, the Gentiles want to live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry, 1 Peter 4.3. Righteousness and justice, giving people what we owe them, That's boring in the kingdoms of this world. Debauchery is what is exciting. Abstinence, chastity, sobriety, restraint, faithfulness, hard work, honor, these things are not important and not being discussed in the kingdoms of this world. No, it's progressing further and doing whatever we want to do. That is what is considered daring. That is what is considered bold in the kingdoms of this world. Herod's birthday party is a window on this world. But understand, we are not just seeing through this window some rare and unique and unusual decadence that came forth from a -a one-of-a-kind man when a strange and peculiar alignment of factors by chance came about that will likely never be repeated. That's not what you're seeing through this window. Now, it would be self-flattery of the worst kind to think that. It would be self-deceit. It would be self-conceit to think that. What happens at Herod's birthday party is what happens in the heart of godless men and godless women. 
Of course, the poor man does not often have the wealth or the privacy to execute the more reckless deviations thriving in his heart. And perhaps someday he will fall down before God and thank God that he was prevented from the deeper decadence he craved. But let us not make the mistake of thinking that what is on display at Herod's birthday party is not the craving of the godless heart. It is not the craving of the king's heart, though he is a king. It is the craving of the godless heart. In other words, it is not just the craving of the godless rich and the godless powerful. It is the craving of the godless man that you are seeing. Period. This is why Paul says to the churches, each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.4. So there is a decadence in Paul's mind so prevalent in the kingdoms of this world where God is not known that it does not just belong to men highborn and set in high social position. There's a decadence that belongs to men lowborn, placed in low social position. The common denominator is not knowing God. That's the common denominator, which leaves the conscience in the dark and thus much more alive much more ripe and close to engaging in violent acts and unnatural relations and shameless deeds and faithless, heartless, and ruthless behavior. What then do we see through the window of Herod's birthday party? We see men and women using other people to please themselves. This is the number one industry in the United States of America. And I don't mean to recklessly disavow you that you don't live in Pleasantville, but the top three websites visited in this country are pornographic websites that are dipping from the same well of the text before you tonight at Herod's birthday party. People being used for personal pleasure of the decadent and godless. This is the quest of the world. How can I use you to make me happy? Herod uses the girl and her dancing to make himself happy. Herodias, the mother, uses the same girl, her daughter, to make herself happy. And the girl uses Herod to make herself happy. And they all use the body of John the Baptist to make themselves happy. Disavow, push yourself away from it, that this is a rare one-off event. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, you are done living like Gentiles. In the kingdoms of this world, Everyone, willingly and without a conscience, draws others down into the moral mud to please themselves. Instead of denying yourself many things to protect others from being used and abused and corrupted in the kingdoms of this world, self-denial is mocked at 
It is considered self-hatred. Don't deny yourself. Self-denial is abandoned in the kingdoms of this world. No one denies themselves of anything. Use, use, use people before they use, use, use you. This is all around us in the kingdoms of this world. Herod's birthday party continues to go on today. A group of boys show another boy naked pictures on their phone. Use, use, use. A group of girls whisper horrible things about a new girl at school, starting a rumor weed. Use, use, use. A gossip whispers something they do not understand to five other people just to make friends on the most threadbare of foundations. A man refuses to admit his own misdeeds, making all who saw what he did begin to wonder if they are the crazy ones. It's called gaslighting. Use, use, use. What do men gain by living by the rules of the kingdoms of this world? Well, the answer is right before us, through the window. Look at Herod. He is a man haunted by guilt. His guilt has not evaporated. It clings to him like an odor. He hears about the fame of Jesus, and he superstitiously thinks it is John the Baptist come back to life. And then Matthew engages in a flashback, telling us what had happened to John the Baptist. Now in verse 2, this is right before the flashback, Herod makes no theological confession about the resurrection there. He is actually being terrorized by his own murderous deed. That's what's in his mouth. His terror. He's like, he's like Hamlet's ghost. He does not fear that God might come after him. No, he fears that the man he killed is coming after him. Men who play by the rules of the kingdoms of this world will be haunted by their guilt. They will never be able to joyfully embrace and welcome those they have used and abused because they do not know how to be reconciled to them. And their guilt isn't pressing on them because they fear God. Their guilt is pressing on them because they fear men, the ones that they have abused and used up. But they do not know how to be reconciled to them. They do not know how to confess their sins and lay hold of a forgiveness that is higher than this world, older than this world, and will outlast this world. This is what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But men committed to the rules of the kingdoms of this world, they find the cross foolishness. So they will have the torment of their guilt. What else do men gain by living out the rules of the kingdoms of this world? The answer is before us. Herod is a man tossed to and fro by the opinions of others. In Mark 6.19, we are given additional information that bears heavily on our picture of this Herod. It says, and Herodias had a grudge against him. That's the wife of Herod, the new wife. <laughs> she has a grudge against John the Baptist. 
And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Mark chapter 6, verse 19. Now, on the one hand, Herod fears John. On the other hand, Herod has arrested John. That's verse 3 of tonight's text. On one hand, Herod hears John gladly. On the other hand, Herod wants to put John to death. That's verse 5 of tonight's text. But Herod also fears the people. Also verse 5. On one hand, Herod wants to give the sensual daughter of his new wife whatever she wants. On the other hand, Herod is sorry he killed John. But he felt he had to because he had made an oath before his guests And they are watching. Herod is like a dry leaf in the wind. This is what you get when you live by the rules of the kingdoms of this world. You become a dry leaf in the wind, unstable in all of your ways. One moment you're here, we look at you, and then you're here. We look for you, and then you're there. You're unstable, double-minded, You have no direction or purpose. You are unwilling to stand up for anything except whatever way the wind blows. That controls you. Nothing in you controls you if you live by the rules of the kingdoms of this world. So here's Herod, unable to rest on any one position very long. This is what men get for following these rules. They become rootless, they become aimless, clouded in their mind, pushed around by a thousand breezes of opinion. It is no wonder John the Baptist lost his head in such a kingdom as this. The kingdoms of this world are not fitting habitats for righteous men. You do not last long in them. John was speaking with consistency. He was from another kingdom. John was speaking with clarity. He was from another kingdom. He spoke with clarity and consistency to the ruling political powers. Herod was no clergyman. He was no cardinal or pope. He was a Gentile lord. And John the Baptist called them out repeatedly, not in private sessions in the room behind the throne, but in his public preaching. It is not lawful for you to have her. You see, Herod had put away his first wife so he could have Herodias. And Herodias had walked out on her first husband, Philip, Herod's brother, so she could shack up with Herod. In a kingdom that valued righteousness and desired the approval of the Almighty, in a kingdom that sought a heavenly future for its subjects, in a kingdom like that, John the Baptist would have been the best counselor. They would say, John, do you have 10 hours today to counsel us? No. Put him in the lowest prison cell. Take off his head. It is not Herod's kind of kingdom that I speak of. And Herod is not this kind of king who wants this kind of counsel.
the law of God is a discordant note, chalk on chalk, fingernails on chalkboard in the ear of Herod. Silence it. Now let's move on, beloved, to better things, for Matthew does. It is remarkable that Matthew sets these two meals next to each other, the birthday party meal where a head is on the platter of the one who is good and righteous, a servant of the high king. He is dead and the party guests are laughing. And then the other meal, a meal that brings the heart of the host, the king, the Lord Jesus, his heart bleeds for the needs of his people, and he suffers to serve them. So let's shift our weight to something more glorious, more beautiful, more full of heart and full of grace and full of truth and full of giving and giving and giving. Repeated thrice to undo using, using, using. It is the kingdom now of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the kingdom of Jesus, the rule that governs the king, the rule that covers like a blanket his subjects, is not a rule of self-preservation, nor a rule of self-protection, nor a rule of self-aggrandizement. Rather, his kingdom is founded on the rule of compassion and service and sharing and suffering for others. And we see all of this right away in verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Now, the key question of verse 13 is what does the word this refer to? Had Jesus just heard about the death of John the Baptist? If so, then it's conceivable his withdrawal would be related to his sorrow for John and his desire to pray for the disciples of John and commune with his father. Or does the this in verse 13 refer to something else? Does it refer back to something found in 14.1 before that long flashback got started in verse 3? I think this is the correct answer. Jesus already knew about John's death when we come to verse 13. Because remember, there's a flashback there. What Jesus had just heard about is that he is now on Herod's radar. Jesus has captured Herod's attention. The murderer of prophets, the eye of Sauron, has turned to Jesus of Nazareth. This means Jesus' great hour of suffering and substitutionary death is drawing nigh. And you remember that he's always speaking about that hour, that hour. It is not yet my hour. So at first, Jesus withdraws. He does not want to speed up the clock recklessly. He often tells people, don't tell anybody I did this for you because it is not yet my hour. So he withdraws, and in a boat, he goes to a desolate place by himself, but he cannot get away from the crowds. They hear where he has gone, and they come out from the towns and follow him. Herod, eat your heart out. How much the nations desire him. The desire of nations, 
as the scriptures say, is unfolding before our eyes. They're leaving their towns and all the resources they have in their homes and among their neighbors because it all pales compared to Jesus Christ. There is a desire for Jesus unlike anything Herod ever knew. The people crave after Jesus. And instead of scolding these people and protecting himself, what does Jesus say? Well, what does the text say of him? He had compassion on them. Now, this is an interesting Greek word in the New Testament. It's the Greek word splank nidzomai. Splank nidzomai. It literally means his bowels came out of him. His heart leaked. It is a word used 12 times in the four Gospels. It always and only refers to divine pity in the four Gospels. Even when it's used in a parable, it's a reference to Jesus Christ. This is a divine word in the Gospels. It's reserved for Jesus. Sometimes it is translated as you have it before you. Other times, out of pity, it's translated. Or moved with pity. Or felt compassion. Now listen, this is so important. This was absent in the heart of Herod. This was absent in the heart of Herodias. This was absent in the heart of Solome, the daughter who danced. Because they were all discipled under the rule of the kingdoms of this world. And so they did not have this fruit at all. This is a heavenly fruit in the king, from the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But listen, this is the foundational rule in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Splanknizomai. Compassion moved with pity. Sympathy. Leaky heart love. This is the foundational rule in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The everlasting God, the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the majestic one who dwells in unapproachable light, the natural rule of his kingdom is to be moved by the needs of his lowliest people. That is the great rule. So great that Paul three times says in Ephesians 1, what you have done is to the praise of your glorious grace. To the praise of your glorious grace. To the praise of your glorious grace. And if we had lots of time tonight, I could show you how it is not difficult at all to connect the praise that is due to his glorious grace to the praise that is due to his eternal, infinite divinity. But do not miss how zealous God is to draw praise to his glorious grace. How sad it would be to find somebody confess that they are a Christian and be unable to put their hand and their finger on this foundational rule of the kingdom of Jesus Christ who were filled with all sorts of high, lofty thoughts about the divinity and majesty of the transcendent God, but they couldn't put their finger 
on the most foundational, fundamental rule of his kingdom, which is splanchnizomai, that he is moved in his heart to the needs of his lowliest people. Psalm 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Psalm 145.8, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Micah 7.18, He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Splanchnizomai is a pre-incarnate discovery of those who study God. And it makes the incarnation almost obvious to those who have been blessed with faith. Of course he would come in our flesh because he has compassion on the lowliest and the neediest among his people. Of course he would put upon himself their own nature to remove that which is crushing them the sins committed in that nature. Well, instead of staying away in his private retreat and removing some risk to himself of speeding up the clock of his hour, instead of all that, Jesus comes to serve others. Compassion pulls him into service. He cannot turn away from those in desperate need. Instead, he heals their diseases, the text says, and fills their stomachs. He has compassion, as it said earlier in Matthew 9, because they are a helpless and harassed people. They need his instruction. They need his power and grace because there is not found in Israel a shepherd like there should be in Israel. The shepherds have all hardened and they have all become sons of the devil. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, he will be the shepherd who is moved. His heart bleeds for their needs. He can't bear to look upon them in their condition. He must answer their need. He must fill their stomach. He must shed light into their soul by his teaching. And so he does. He cares for body and soul. So let us remember in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the bodies and souls of the lowliest men and women are not toys for personal pleasure. Young people, when anybody ever shows you filth on a cell phone, you need to understand right now and make a draw a line in the sand. It is coming to your eyes from a kingdom that is not of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to describe it. When somebody asks you to take off your clothes that you are not married to, that request is coming from a kingdom that wants to use you up, that doesn't care about you, cares about themselves. But in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, bodies and souls of the lowliest men and women are never toys for personal pleasure. Rather, they are persons for whom the king's power is given 
so that they would be restored. And that means if your body has been abused, misused, it can be restored by this king. He can cleanse you and heal you, even heal your deepest inner thoughts about what you are, where you're going, and who loves you. He can heal all of that. Now, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, it is a spectacular miracle. Beloved, it's a staggering display, isn't it? Who knows how many thousands of mouths were actually fed? Because we don't get the kind of modern 21st century Western count. We don't have the government census. We have 5,000 men besides women and children. And we know most men eat twice as much as women and children. That's a lot of loaves and fishes to go around. And it seems that the people never knew directly from whom it came. But we know now. It was a staggering display of our Lord's authority over nature, but also a staggering display of our Lord's authority over the human condition. Authority is never authority in the raw. It is a th- authority that is revealed in its depth by that, those whom it serves. Jesus displays the authority over the human condition that he has not come to crush the lowliest, those who can't feed themselves, those, are, those who are too silly or unprepared that they are out in a desolate place without a bag lunch. This is not authority to mock and scold. This is authority to meet the need. Remarkable. Archie France made a very insightful comment about it, though. He said, take note that the miraculous provision of bread here in Matthew 14 is in striking contrast with our Lord's refusal to make bread in Matthew 4. That's when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. And he said, no, man shall not live by bread alone, he said to the devil, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The temptation in the wilderness was for the newly declared son of God, remember in his baptism, it was for him to satisfy his own hunger by the self-centered use of miraculous power. It was the Herod instinct that Satan was offering. Come on, you're a king. Do what all the kings do. Satisfy yourself. Show that you are full of power. Jesus refused. But here in Matthew 14, this power is used for the benefit of others. Now, there is one more thing I want to speak to in our text tonight, and it's what our Lord says to his disciples. He says in verse, verse 16, Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. This is quite wonderful. What is the foundation stone of the rule of Christ's kingdom? Do you know now? You knew before. 
You just didn't know how to say it in Greek. Splank nidzamai. That's the foundational rule in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, a heart of compassion for the needy. You're going to meet these people before you go to bed tonight. They live with you. A heart of compassion for the needy. That's the foundational rule in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Do you see in verse 16 how Jesus is a master teacher? He's a true rabbi. He wants this to be in the heart and hands of his disciples. He wants to have them minister out of the foundational rule of his kingdom. So he says to them, you give them something to eat. This is not simply a trick whereby he is exposing their own deficiency and need. It certainly does do that. But he is showing them that he will supply that which he calls them to do when they do it in alignment with the rule that is foundational to his kingdom. Him telling them to give the people bread recalls 2 Kings chapter 4 and an incident that took place in the ministry of Elisha. In 2 Kings 4.42, we read these words. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? 20 loaves of barley to feed a hundred men? Doesn't take a genius to see deficiency. How can I set this before a hundred men, says the servant. So he repeated, Elisha did, give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord. They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Beloved, do you see that this kingdom of Jesus Christ and its foundational rule, Splank Nidzamai, was present all along through human history under the old covenant administration and indefinitely, of course, under the new? It's the same rule. But the disciple is being trained to trust the word of the Lord, that the power of the king is in his word and promise is always coming with his command. He will provide all that is necessary to obey when one will do that which his rule requires. You will not be falling into despair when you bring compassion to sinners, when you don't quit and fall into hard-heartedness, but you continue with the one who has sinned against you 70 times, 70. You will not fail if you seek to align yourself with the rule of the king who gives his own body for bread. So this is the summary, of course, before you. Jesus wants his church to learn to live by his rule. 
And by rule here, I am not speaking of a synonym with law. I'm speaking of a foundational constitution of a commonwealth. The rule of his kingdom is splanknizomai. Beloved, we are never wrong in the main when compassion is what compels us and moves us to those who are buried under the weight of their sin, under the weight of others sinning against them, under the weight of man's kingdoms using them up and abusing them up. We are never failing in the main when we move towards them with compassion to tell them about a savior and to meet the needs of their bodies and their souls. That is the foundational rule. We may make missteps along the way. We may wish we had said something different or given something more or maybe given something less and given it in several parts, all sorts of different things where we might think, ah, I, I could do that better. But this is the big secret. If compassion is not the driving rule in our Christian living in the world, we are drawing from the kingdoms of this world and not from the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Herod uses his authority to please himself and gain what he desires. Jesus uses his authority to please others and bless others at his expense. And he does not have less after having given so much. And that will be the case for us. We will not have less after having given so much compassion. We will find that having given it, we have even more to give. This is the wonder of the multiplying hands of Jesus Christ. You cannot outgive the Lord. You will not come to want. Let us pray. And so, Father, we cast our bread upon the water again under the name of Jesus Christ. But looks like a foolish act, we step into it again, Lord, as we come upon the morrow and enter the day, the week, where you have called us to many providences, many intersections with several lives, and some that we know already. We pray that we will remember the foundational rule of the kingdom of your Son, and that you would bring our hearts to heal to it, for how could we, who are so much recipients of this compassion, once dead in our trespasses and sins, how could we, of all people, be disinterested in this foundational rule that has brought everything to us? Help us, O oh Lord, reorder our ambitions, reorder our affections, and if any of us who have heard this message have been used up and abused by men and women in the kingdoms of this world, O oh Lord, compel us to draw near to the one who will not use us, Jesus Christ. And if we have been the abusers, if we are attracted to using up others' lives for our pleasure, show us the wrath that you will bring against it on the last day, and let us see that now by your word. Let us believe your word so that we do not have to find ourselves 
experiencing and receiving this wrath. Let us believe your word that you will come and judge with wrath those who use others. Let us believe it and flee and repent and flee to Christ. Help us, O Lord. What a wonderful king. How could we not run to him? In his name we pray, amen.